John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Yeah, I'd like to echo what was just said, of course, uh, on Veterans Day. I want to thank all those and take care of all those who have taken care of us. Thank you for your service. Thank you for making the sacrifices. Thank you for doing everything, and thank you for the protection here on this Veterans Day. And, of course, uh, it's Wednesday. Of course, it's Washington Wednesday. So we'll get into uh, hopefully what will be the first game of the season for the Huskies. You know, Cal didn't cooperate last week with a positive test, and so now it's a matter of trying to see if they can get this game, and right now everything looks good. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. To be in first place at, at, at the halfway point is, is, is what we need to be. But the fact that we're there doesn't mean anything because it's what we're going to do about it now. And so that's what our focus goes immediately to, as it always does, to the very next step that we take. And that's, that's this big game coming up against the Rams. And it feels like all of these games, it's championship run time. And that's just what this is. And so we have to see if we can respond one week at a time to find the plan and find the preparation. And the great mentality it takes to go ahead and play another good football game. Yeah, so this is it. I mean, this... 10-day ten uh, stretch coming up here starting on Sunday is going to determine uh, where this team is going to go because, you know, they've got the Rams down in L.A. Sunday. Then they come back and have a home game Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals, and it defines everything. You win those two games, you're 8-2. and two. Then you go into four pretty easy games starting in Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia may be a little bit tougher because they're getting some guys back from injuries, but they're still 3-4-1. and one. And they haven't won a game outside the division yet. And so now it's a matter that uh, if Seattle takes care of business, they go 8-2. and two. And then, of course, you win those four games, and you can go 12-2 uh, and two going into the last two games with a home game against the Rams and also a, a, a road game in uh, San Jose against the 49ers. And that, by that time, the 49ers are going to be out of it. So really, this is it. This is the time to really show it, fix the defense, get all those things together. And, of course, the challenge is going to be stopping the Rams' running game because the Rams have one of the most one of the best running schemes. You saw that Seattle did a good job uh, in most games so far stopping the run. And they'll also have the probably the addition of Damon Snacks Harrison there. Uh, <clears throat> today's going to be a big day to find out who's going to be on the practice field and who's not because, you know, will Chris Carson be out there? Will Shaquille Griffin be out there? We think that uh, Ugo Amati is going to be out there. We'll see about Carlos Hyde. But, you know, these are the times right now where you need as much as you possibly can. <clears throat> this is the time to check out to see where it's going to go. Uh, you'll get the first update at about 1.35 today when Pete Carroll has his weekly press conference. <clears throat> and, of course, that's on the Wednesday press conference. He'll give the injury update and say who's on, who's in and who's out. That'll be encouraging. And so it's a matter that the Rams also, uh, they've been better than people thought. I mean, they're better on defense than people thought. You know, you have to find a way to try to block Aaron Donald because he's probably, again, the leading candidate to get his third defense. Uh, player of the year. He's got nine sacks, 15 tackles for losses, all those things to be in his favor. And of course, uh, it's going to be one where uh, you got Jared Goff, <clears throat> who can be up and who can be down. He was just down. Now, the difference in this game, too, is that uh, you know they've now got an extra week to prepare because they're coming off a bye week. And with that bye week, it gives them a chance to uh, be fresher, be healthier, have all those things be in their favor. But big, big game coming up starting on Sunday, followed by the big Thursday game against the Arizona Cardinals. Number two. The NFL owners approved a new playoff plan if necessary, if 
more games have to be canceled in the second half of the season. We're coming up to a time here where some teams are done with their buys, and the league doesn't have the scheduling flexibility that it did have in, say, September. And so under the new plan, there will be eight teams in each conference that go to the playoffs. Two more teams were added. If games had to be canceled and they had to change up the format... So they voted on two uh, rule changes yesterday, and we'll have to see about the players' approval, if they're going to be okay on it. I'm sure it doesn't matter because, again, they're going to they're going to implement this anyways, but it's going to be a 16-team playoff if they have to start rescheduling games into Week 18, and, of course, that'll be eight per conference. I hope that doesn't happen, but I honestly think that uh, you know the league should be able to get through this period because when you think about the fact that, what, you've already got through 133 games nine weeks into the season, no games have been, you know, they've had to move some things around but they've not lost a game that's encouraging and so now you can also see even though you know all around the country i mean positive tests are growing at a rapid rate certainly there's a more positive test in the nfl more people that are being you know quarantined and all that stuff but in, in the big picture last week only 15 players got the uh COVID-19. 15, that's it. And after four weeks where there have been eight, that's not enough to really start getting games going. And of course, they've got the rapid protocol right now. You saw this in the Pittsburgh game. You know, and of course, it's a little shaky as far as what Pittsburgh did. You know, the Steelers found out, I guess, that, uh, you know, Vance McDonald, the uh, tight end for them, had a positive test and they still let him play. And then, of course, coming back into playing, Ben Roethlisberger was sitting next to him. And so now he's a high risk as far as, you know, getting the the virus. Now he's pet, he's been negative on the test. Two other players also had to go on the list. But they're going to be available to come off the list on Saturday. So ben, Big Ben should not miss the game. But again, <laughs> that's what you have to do. You have to worry a little bit in Dallas if there's any contact with McDonald or anything of that nature. But nevertheless, they voted on that. And here's one that I, I like. I mean, uh, they were thinking about you know doing some things to improve minority hiring and black coaches and all that stuff. And so what they're doing is they passed a rule that you can get as many as two third-round compensatory picks if you lose a minority coach and executives that you're developing into being a head coach or a front office job elsewhere. And so so that means you know more chances that you can get uh, black coaches and minority coaches to be coordinators because coordinators usually then get the chance to get the chance to go on there and get a uh, chance for a head coaching job and of course uh, resolution of course is you know subject to approval by the NFL Players Association. Number three. This past game, I um, well, I tried to come out and that first carry, I, I told myself and I told my fiance like, listen, the first carry I get. I'm going to try to punish whoever the defender is in front of me. And that's how I tried to start the game. So I really, I feel like I don't, I don't need too many carries. I just need that one and just to set the tone. And from there, we'll, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's DJ Dallas talking about this touchdown to kind of get the game going early when they were trailing uh, 14-0, but he was able to lower his head and power through and get that going. But nevertheless, uh, you know, the key for this team still is to get more out of the running game. And I think one of the things that, you can see as far as what the uh, was being done by Buffalo, they were blitzing like crazy. And part of that was the fact that they realized, hey, the uh, running game may be very suspect for Seattle. 
And you also have two young running backs out back there that are trying to do the blocking, and they might have troubles doing it, and they did. I mean, DJ Dallas has a great reputation as a blocker, but uh, he still tried to learn the game and get the right reads and all those different things. So uh, Chris Carson, again, Carlos Hyde is going to be the big topic, uh, one of the big topics, along with Shaquille Griffin, as far as when Pete Carroll has his press conference at one thirty, And, of course, uh, the Rams defense will see what kind of things they're going to do. Will they blitz? That's really not their nature uh, to really do that. And but certainly they're going to have different type of things because they've had an extra week to prepare for Seattle. Number four. We have, as always, been uh, burning up the lines, talking to clubs about ways we might be able to match up in trade for controllable pitching, particularly down in the bullpen. And we will continue to monitor the free agent market. And, and I would expect that between you know small trades, the free agent market, minor league deals, and, and growth from when our, within our own organization, you'll see a markedly different bullpen with what we hope is considerably more impact than the group in 2020. And, and that's been our, our primary focus to this point. That's Jerry Depoto talking with Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday. Uh, certainly happy about he's happy about the fact that Kyle Lewis was able to win the AL Rookie of the Year, and he's starting to make the moves to try to get the bullpen better. And you know the the, the key of what he said is controllable because again he wants guys that are going to be you know in there uh, not arbitration eligible you know control that they can have for at least three four years whatever because again it takes you six years to get the free agency uh but then of course you know by years four five and six you have to have arbitration but that's going to be what they're trying to do also see what they can do in free agency uh but you can see there's things on the rebound also on the rebound is mitch hanniger uh, according to depoto there's some encouraging progress after missing the entire season in 2020 and we coming back from multiple surgeries you can listen to the full conversation with Jerry Depoto. That's going to be on 710sports.com. Number five. On Tuesday, all 14 SEC athletic directors agreed that December 19th, which is the day of the SEC Conference Championship game, that should also be used as a makeup date. So that's why they didn't entirely close the door on Alabama LSU and say it's canceled. Now, Alabama is obviously the front runner to win the West and play in that SEC Championship game. And if that happens, then the LSU game would probably be canceled. But look, at the end of the day, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee does not need to see Alabama play a struggling LSU team to figure out if it's one of the top four teams in the country. Well, so far, the SEC has four games that's going to be postponed this weekend. And as mentioned, uh, according to Heather Dinish, is that uh, Alabama and LSU is going to be postponed. And uh, that's that's it would have been a big one. LSU's been a big disappointment this year after having one of the great teams last year. In the Pac-12, Arizona State and Cal, it looks like it's probably going to end up getting canceled. No surprise there because, you know, Cal, when they had to cancel the Seattle game or the Washington game, you know, they had, uh, you know, 14 days in quarantine, and that'll be right about when it comes off on Saturday. It'll be the second straight cancellation of Cal this year because, uh, again, Washington had that game called off. According, uh, and, of course, December 19th gives them a chance for the SEC to try to do some makeup games if necessary. Cal Bananya will be joining us, uh, Vigora from uh, ESPN, on Washington Wednesdays at 10.30. He's going to be talking about the cancellations, but also the prospects of where things are in college football, and that'll be on Washington Wednesdays at 10.30. You can listen to this show in the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to uh, go into further review and say, which team is better? Is it the Seahawks or the Rams? It's the John Clayton Show. 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. 
And of course, uh, <clears throat> with the Rams coming uh, this game down in Los Angeles on uh, sa- Sunday, uh, now it's a matter to see. Okay, let's shake shake up this division. I mean, Seattle obviously has passed San Francisco. San Francisco won 13 games last year, but they've already lost five. They're four and five. They've got injuries galore. A lot of difficulty there, and Seattle's already beaten them, and they beat them down in uh, San Francisco in San Jose. And so now it's a matter. Of, okay, what next? And so now uh, Arizona got the win over Seattle, and of course they have a chance to make up uh, when they play Arizona on Thursday night. But also now it's a matter to see where this team matches up against the Rams you know the they're you know right now a five and three team six and two for Seattle and now it's okay is it time to, to go and I guess the debate right now is who's better I think it's pretty evident right now Seattle is still better because you've got a quarterback who's having an absolutely monster season you know on pace for maybe 56 touchdown passes <clears throat> one of the great seasons of all time but the defense is in question a little bit better balance right now with the Rams because they've got the offense that's uh, very good running the football, a decent quarterback in Jared Goff, and a defense that surprised everybody in you know, now being in the top 10 as far as their numbers. Michael Bumpus was on uh, with Danny and Gallant today and was asked uh, which team is better, the Seahawks or the Rams? The one thing that you hang your hat on with this Seattle uh, team is the offense, and we keep saying they're the best offense. They are the best scoring offense. Overall, Arizona's more balanced. They rush for more yards, and they pass for uh, just just under them when it comes to yards. And then you look at protecting the quarterback. The Hawks can't protect the quarterback. Russell's been sacked 24 times. Jimmy's been sacked 10 times. He's only played a few games. Murray's been sacked uh, 10 times. So has Goff. So long story short, if I look at the, every team on paper, and I look at this offense, I'll take I'll take Seattle's offense over anybody. I look at this defense on paper, I'll take their defense. But you look at the Rams play defense, that defense is making some plays right now. So, yes, long story short, yes, they are the best team in the NFC West, but it's simply because of number three. They got to fix some things going on around them. You have a quarterback you can win in this league. He's better than Goff. He's better than Murray. He's better than Jimmy. With all the fires going on around him, you still got number three in the middle staying calm and trying to hold these things down. They have to fix some things schematically. Guys have to get healthy. But teams like the Rams are biting at them. This game is very important. This game is really going to show us who this football team is because the Rams get after the quarterback. They're second in the league when sacking them. Have Aaron Donald who leads the league with nine sacks. This defense is nothing to be played with, and they have an offense that can get it done. Yeah, so it's going to be a good matchup to see, you know, the real test to see where the Seahawks are. And again, I agree. I think we all pretty much agree that, you know, this is still the better team. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, 12 players on this team who have been to the Pro Bowl. That's more than the Rams and, you know, more than any other team in this division. But of course, you know, some of those guys are a little bit older. But still, there's a lot of talent there. And, of course, now it's a matter that the five pro bowlers on defense have to really produce to at least change what's been a bad first half of the season for the defense. You know, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, you know, Shaquille Griffin, if he's able to play. Carlos Dunlap was added. You know, he hasn't been to the Pro Bowl since 2016. But you can see immediate impact of what he's able to do. Because what he was able to do then was, you know, draw enough attention blocking-wise that it opened things up for Jaron Reed because he ended up having two and a half sacks. And so that has to go. And I guess one of the big things for Seattle, and I guess in some ways it's the big thing for the Rams, is kind of, you know, redefining their identity on both sides of the ball. Now, we know what Seattle is. They're 
want to let Russ Cook pass the ball more, get early first down passes, quicker pace in the first three quarters, and that's been what, one of the successes on an offense that's averaging over 34 points a game. You know, that's work. You know, the Rams, they're still going back and forth. I mean, it's become more of a two-tight-end team that uh, you know goes ahead and wants to run the ball, three-man committee as far as who gets the runs and all those different things. And then it's a matter of trying to make the best for Jared Goff. I mean, Jared Goff now still has... Uh, you know, a good receiver in Cooper Cup. You know, they still have the ability to pass the ball. Robert Woods has done well. But uh, and the offensive line has kind of bounced back because the offensive line for the uh, Rams was a liability last year. It did not do well. <clears throat> now, it, an injury or two could play into that, but Andrew Whitworth has bounced back. You can see that, uh, you know, they're better blocking on the offensive line, and that's going to be important. But now it's up to the Seahawks' defensive line to be able to win some of those battles. But uh, I I think you know most team most people thought at the best this would be a nine win Ram team. <clears throat> I know ESPN.com had all their uh, all their reporters, their reporters for each team, kind of schedule out the rest of what it looks like for the season and what the records are going to be. They actually had Arizona coming in at ten and six. They had uh, the Rams coming in at ten and six, <clears throat> and to show that they believe that the uh, Seahawks are the better team, they come in at twelve and four. The one thing that plays to the benefit of the Seahawks is the fact that their easy their closing schedule, aside from these two games. But if you include these two games, it's the easiest closing schedule in the National Football League at 397, which that's putting all the wins, losses, ties, all that together, 397. So that gives them a good chance if they can get through these next two games to really establish themselves. And, of course, if you do well, not only do you establish yourself in the division, you establish yourself as, you know, the possible number one seed. And so I don't know. It's like uh, I know – the game on Sunday against Buffalo, which we all knew was going to be tough, turned out to be tougher than anybody expected, kind of put the scare in everybody and really downgrade where this team is supposed to be. But all along, trying to be the number one seed is still there for this team. And so, Curtis Rogers, I mean, what do you think as far as comparing the Rams and the Seahawks? Well, I think the Rams' defense clearly better than Seattle's uh, defense. I don't think that's shocking anybody right there. But this is a Rams defense that has not faced an offense quite like Seattle's offense. And, and Seattle's offense has been able to put up points against anybody. Name the place, name the time, they're going to put up 30-plus on you. Uh, that's just how it's been. I would say that last Sunday was the worst offensive performance the Seahawks have had this season with the four turnovers, didn't really get anything going on the ground, and they still put up 34 points uh, on Buffalo. So it, 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 Seattle is going to get their points whether you're ready for them or not. I think the big thing for the Seahawks, though, is going to be going up against this Rams offense, a Rams offense that likes to run the ball, that likes to, you know, get Jared Goff going. They they're a team a lot like the Rams or a lot like the Forty ers John. When we talked to John Lynch a couple weeks ago, where they're playing sideline to sideline, you know, they're using every blade of grass offensively. Uh, they're you know trying to get those mismatches using Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and all those guys uh, that they have on the offense. To get your off, to get your defense off balance, and looking at the Seahawks and how their defense is played, especially their secondary is played, uh, I think they got to strap up because it's going to be very tough for them to keep LA off the scoreboard. Because uh, frankly, Seattle's had trouble against everybody keeping them off the scoreboard. Uh, that to me is where this game is going to be won and lost, John. Uh, I'm not worried at all about Seattle's offense going up against LA's defense. Well, and you bring up the uh, the fact about the defense, and uh, you know. 
they did have trouble in one, actually a couple games, because you know they have three losses, but one of the losses was in Buffalo. And in that game, the Bills in Buffalo jumped off to a 28-3 lead. Now, the Rams were able to fight back, try to at least get into a, and they actually did take the lead, but the Bills came back and you know, they got uh, the game-winning score, and so they won the game. But uh, you know that shows you is that you can still score 30 points on this team if you have a good offense. The Buffalo has a good offense. They certainly reproved that on Sunday, and the Seahawks have maybe even a better offense, you know, because averaging 34 points a game. So you can score on the Rams, and of course, you know, they, they still have the tougher schedule because Seattle has run through, you know, the tougher games on their schedule, except for these division games coming up, and uh, you know, things, you know, the games that have been won by uh, the Rams, a lot of those now can be uh, going over to Seattle. But that's the thing. It's like, this is a matchup. And in the last couple of years, the Rams have had the edge on the Seahawks in these games. And so now it's a matter of focusing, trying to make sure that they can tighten things up on defense and give Russell Wilson the chance to not make turnovers, to make game-winning plays. Yeah, you mentioned both teams' schedules, John. It, it sort of increases the importance of this game for both teams because you look at the Rams, their next game is at Tampa Bay uh, on Monday Night Football. That's not going to be an easy one. Uh, and if they lose against Seattle, there's a real possibility the Rams could be 5-5 five and five, uh, through 10 games going up. And then, and then they've got a couple of divisional games right after that, San Francisco, Arizona. It eases up against New England and New York, but then they ramp it up again against Seattle and Arizona. Both these teams know just what's at stake on Sunday. Uh, I think it's going to make for a, a very con- a very hotly contested game. It's going to be close. It's going to be very close coming oh, yeah. down to the end. And probably high scoring because that's oh yeah that's what that's what it is for Seattle. All games high scoring. We'll see if that continues. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to have Washington Wednesdays. Kyle Bonagora is going to be joining us from ESPN to talk about the Pac-12 and so and what about the Husky debut, which of course nobody knows what to expect because nobody's seen them except the coaches and so uh we'll be coming up with washington wednesday next john clayton show 710 espn seattle washington wednesdays brought to you by star rentals preferred supplier to the west best contractors Joining us from Washington Wednesday is Kyle Bonagara from ESPN. And so uh, Pac-12 got off to a start, although the Huskies did not. They uh, had to wait for Cal, and, of course, they had to cancel that game. Uh, and, of course, no makeup game. And so now they're down to a six-game slate. And at this moment, as they get ready for this week, nobody knows what the Huskies are going to look like. New coach, new quarterback, all those different things. What kind of words are you hearing as far as what to expect from the Huskies? What's interesting about this season more than any other is any sort of information that's available, you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Because no. practices, have, for the most part, have been closed. No spring ball, so no televised spring game. Any coaching staff that's worth its salt is not going to you know, release much information under those circumstances. So for me, it's, it's probably just as big a mystery as everyone else. I know the offense is expected to, to, to look a lot different, and I'm curious to see how that, that manifests against Oregon State. But yeah, it's, we're, it's a mystery grab bag here in 2020. Yeah, it really is. And of course, I mean, as you watch the first week of Pac-12 with everybody's looking at things for the first time, I mean, what kind of different things did you see that, uh, you know, not that it would apply to the Huskies, but again, you know, knowing it's going to be the same thing, it's like, okay, that first game, you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, like, I don't think there was any big structural differences or schematic changes that you know, were unique to this season, right? I, I do think what's interesting about this year is the 
bizarre offseason and lead up to the season <clears throat> kind of serves as an equalizer, right? So teams that might be more talented, um, you know, maybe they're they are disadvantaged by the practice protocols, right? I mean, USC, I mean, they ended up winning their game, but, you know, there was months there where they were practicing in groups of five or six people. It's the same, it was the same way in the Bay Area with Cal and Stanford not being able to practice in groups. Utah was able to, to meet as a team for, for several months until its game got canceled. So there's just so many different dynamics that, that, that serve as equalizing or kind of unusual things that you can't account for. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I don't know with the new head coach. And although I guess, you know, with Washington, new head coach, freshman quarterback, uh, they Washington State did some good things to at least get their season off to a good start. Yeah, I was really impressed by Delora in his debut for, for Wazoo. I mean, that was, again, you know, talking about how we just don't know what to expect. Throwing a freshman quarterback into the mix certainly adds adds an element to that, too. I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's a bizarre deal there because he's a, he's a true freshman starting. He's not going to lose any eligibility. You're looking at a guy who is a potential, and we'll see if that happens, a potential five-year starter at quarterback for Washington State, which we've never seen in college football before. So they absolutely were able to move the ball uh, consistently against Oregon State. Really impressed with how the Cougars opened up uh, on Saturday. What about Oregon State? What did you see from them? You know, I was, I'm was i a little disappointed. I think that I, I was high on Oregon State last year. Um, I thought that the, the direction they were going under Jonathan Smith was something to be really uh, encouraged about. Um, I don't think last year we knew how good a quarterback Luton was, right? Uh, he, you know, he was decent, and you know they were, a, 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 I guess, approaching average level team, which is certainly progress for Oregon State. But now that he's, you know, getting a shot here in the NFL, you're like, oh well, maybe he was actually quite a bit better than we gave him credit for at the college level, and maybe that accounted for um, more of Oregon State than maybe we understood at the time. So disappointed to see Oregon State kind of get off to a, a poor start because I really did have high hopes for them going into the year. But again, it's, it's, I'm not ready to make any firm conclusions, um, you know, based on that game last when, week. When you started to do your uh, preseason uh, predictions and that, what kind of things did you predict for Washington and also for Oregon state? So I think I had Oregon one Cal two, Washington three Stanford four, something like Oregon, maybe Oregon state was four or five. I think I had wazoo six. So for me, uh, it wasn't about anything that I didn't like about Washington. I just thought Oregon kind of is the de facto favorite. I think that's the, pretty much everyone in the conference agrees that it's a fair place to, to start them coming off the Rose Bowl. Um, a lot of good recruits over the last several years. It kind of felt like it made sense for, to start them there. Cal, I was really high on. I thought Justin Wilcox has, has done as good a job as anyone on the West Coast of, the coast of developing a program and, and making incremental progress. Quarterback coming back. A lot of things like about how they play on the defensive side, so they I slotted them at two, and but kind of by default, Washington got got put in that three spot. I mean, even though Jimmy's a new coach, it's still you know the the system is pretty much in place. The foundation is there when you're going to a coach that had already been on the staff for so many years. Yeah, how much of a disadvantage is it going to be that Oregon State has one game under its belt and gets through all the growing pains that you have in a first game compared to Washington that doesn't have that? So that you can look at that a number of ways. The, the, if you want to look at it from an Oregon State perspective and why that's a good thing, it's like, yeah, we got the kinks out. You know, you talk about making progress from game one to game two. Uh, it's it's easy to understand how a team can make a significant jump. But the flip side, of course, is that you know they haven't seen Washington on tape. They haven't seen 
what the new offense is going to look like. So accounting for that is much more difficult than the job that, that Washington has, being able to study a game, understanding the personnel groupings, um, any tweaks that have been made to the, you know, the offense and defensive schematics over the offseason. So you know, balancing those things out, I think there's reasons to kind of be encouraged on both sides. I'm not, I'm not going to really, I'm not willing to say it's uh, going to be a, you know, it's going to change the outcome of their game or it significantly weighs in, in, in one way or the other. I think there's been plenty of examples over the years where it's kind of worked out on, you know, on both ways, right? Yeah. <clears throat> How much of a bind do you think it put the uh, Pac-12 in by, you know, being the last to really set up a season, not having any bye weeks, having a seven-game season with no wiggle room, and here you have Cal uh, that have to have the 14-day quarantine, and so there's a good chance that their game this week may not happen, and now they're down to five games. So what kind of bind do you think the Pac-12 put itself in? Yeah, structurally, it's it's tough, right? Without the built-in bye weeks to be able to make up games later in the year, it really put a lot of pressure on the conference to be able to get through, you know, get off to a seamless start. And we that obviously did not happen. Having two of your six games canceled in the opening weekend was a you know disaster for the Pac-12 after having you know several months of delays already. You know, making critiques about how it should have uh, have gone in hindsight is obviously pretty easy, right? I, I think the one place to criticize the Pac-12 that's certainly fair is that when they decided to punt on the fall initially, which was in early August, and you know kick the can towards uh, starting in early 2021, they furloughed a bunch of employees. They basically gave up on any hope that they would play in the fall and weren't working towards an alternative option. And then you know, my understanding is that they just assumed everyone else was going to follow suit, right? That the SEC eventually would get there, the ACC and the Big 12. And once that happened, uh, you know, they, would, they wouldn't have any sense of urgency. But when, when the other conferences didn't follow them, and the Pac-12 announced right after the Big Ten did, when the other conference didn't follow suit and seemed determined to get the season in in the fall, they were kind of left with their pants down, right? I mean, it, it made it very difficult to swivel back and try to play a season in the fall um, for a number of reasons. They had the, you know, they, they made a big deal about all the daily testing capabilities that were, that were, they were going to have. And it turns out that hasn't been so beneficial for being able to eliminate contact tracing, but yeah, not having the, not having the extra weeks to make up games is certainly going to have an impact on how this season is reviewed once we get to the end. Yeah, <clears throat> no doubt, because, <clears throat> again, Cal's only going to have, at this at best-case scenario, maybe a, a five-game schedule. Now, they haven't canceled the game yet, but it's likely. And two things on the, the protocols and all that stuff. First off, who came up with the 14-day quarantine? Because I know in the NFL it's more of a five-day quarantine in 10 days if you show symptoms. And then the other thing is what the <laughs> – what, what, what what the uh, why yeah, yeah you mentioned you mentioned how that but yeah why why a fourteen day so that's actually a CDC protocol so okay. that comes from the very top right so that's the that's the general advice given to you know not just football players but the general population and and that actually includes a, you know a recommendation that you can't test out of a fourteen day quarantine for contact tracing so what it is is the fourteen days is for contact tracing if you are if you if you come into close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19 for at least 15 minutes over a 24-hour period is the CDC guideline. And if that's the case, you're not allowed to exit quarantine with negative tests 
because they say that the incubation period for the virus, it can lay dormant and you're not contagious until, you know, that that, that process could take anywhere up to 14 days is what the research has indicated. Mm -hmm. If you test positive for the virus, it's a 10-day isolation because they have determined that's how long it takes for the virus to get out of your system or, 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 you know, assuming you're no longer showing symptoms or never did show symptoms. So it wasn't like the Pac-12 or Cal or anyone came up with these on their own, the SEC actually uses the 14-day quarantine as well. So this is something that's being applied across college football and across the Pac-12. Well, you're, where you're going to see some inconsistencies is how they determine um, who is a close contact, and that's a that's less uh, you know that's less clear, and it varies from city to city and county to county, and various municipalities are make those determinations in different ways. Ah, and so what do you have posted uh, to, to look for as we get uh, into this second week of the Pac-12 uh, season? Yeah, I reported last night that the Cal game is, uh, you know, Cal game against Arizona State is, is unlikely to happen um, on the brink of cancellation. Cal, uh, you know, confirmed that their entire defensive line is in quarantine, is is not going to be released from quarantine until next Tuesday. That comes from, uh, you know, the, the city of Berkeley issued a statement and said they're not uh, reversing course, and the, the original date mandates they were given to Cal last week will stand. There was some hope at Cal that they could present them a compelling case that the contact tracing determinations were made in error. That's not going to happen. So I have a news story about how that kind of played out, and I have a feature that ran on Monday that kind of went into the whole 9 a.m. kickoff how the Pac-12, USC, Arizona State uh, kind of worked together to make that that possible, and something I thought was a pretty cool idea on opening weekend. Without fans in the stands, it made a lot of sense to to get the get the Pac-12 on TV in that time slot, and it was a certainly an entertaining game. Hey, great stuff, Cal Bonagara. Thank you so much from ESPN. Read them at ESPN.com, and thanks for helping us out on Washington Wednesday. Thanks, John. Okay. And, of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll catch you up on what's going on in the National Football League. It's the John Clayton Show, and it'll go behind the lines next. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, it looks like uh, there's a decent chance the Seahawks aren't going to get uh, Tack McKinley. Looks like the Raiders are going to put in one of the waiver claims on him. They have the 19th pick, and obviously uh, much distant than the you know where the Seahawks are. And of course, it goes down that you can put a waiver claim in, and he goes to the team with the highest draft position. And so McKinley doesn't look like it's going to be an option for Seattle. It's not official, but apparently, what you go back when Mike Mayock was uh, on TV doing all his draft stuff, he had him I think in that draft is maybe the 16th or 17th player in that draft so it looks like Dak cannot be an option of course he is a little bit injured right now we'll see if any other teams uh, put in a waiver claim what's going to be curious is that you know clearly Tack is more of a 4-3 defensive end Raiders Seahawks that's a 4-3 defense I'm wondering if any uh, team maybe even like a Tennessee, which could be too low for Tennessee because, again, they've got a better record than the Raiders, would they put something in there? So I don't know, Curtis. Uh, I think say goodbye to Tack McKinley if the Raiders do put that in. Yeah, it doesn't bode well for the Seahawks if it if the Raiders do put in a claim for him. How much, John, do you think teams are uh, intrigued by the fact that if they do put a claim in on McKinley and he joins their team then they're eligible for draft pick compensation if he leaves because I believe yeah. uh, they can still get a, a draft pick of some kind uh, if McKinley leaves in free agency. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, they can do that. But now the question is, you know, what kind of value is he going to have? Because he's certainly been devalued uh, with his performances and what he did, what he, what he didn't do in Atlanta. And you know, what's he going to command on the open market, particularly when there's going to be a very low market for any players next year because the cap going down maybe as much as twenty million dollars. I mean, you know, would he get uh, you know three million, four million? It's not like Tack McKinley is going to get a ten plus million dollar contract, which might get you a third round pick. I think he's going to probably be more in the two to four million dollar range, which may get you a seventh round pick. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting uh, couple of hours here before we find out where Tech McKinley mm-hmm. ends up. Uh, you know, it, I you see the Raiders out there; they have interest in him, John. Do you think that scares away teams above the Raiders in the waiver wire? Maybe this is a bluff on their part. Do you think that could be something or? Do you think teams now see that the Raiders have some legit interest in him and they're just going to be like, well, why even bother at this point? Yeah, well, I mean, I, what it comes down to is they are uh, right now at that stage where, you know, I think teams are reluctant to try to bring in too much because, again, I mean, you get them, you have to go through six days of uh, testing protocol with COVID-19, so you're really getting somebody for next week. And, of course, you know, most of the bad teams, I mean, is he going to make a difference on them? I mean, you know, the teams that are the 4-3 teams, I think, are the the ones that have a chance to win, and you've got about 14 teams right now, 12 to 14 teams, that you he's not going to make a difference. And so the bad teams, I don't think are going to do much to get him where I think that, uh, you know, the Raiders are in the hunt and they've been looking for pass rush really for the longest time. I mean, uh, they've been, you know, sniffing around at every different option. I mean, I think they sniff probably at uh, Carlos Dunlap and all those different things that have moved around right before the trade deadline. And so I think they're, they're just addressing a need because they know what their weakness still is, is their defense. Their offense has done really well, but they're defense and they just need more pass rush and of course he can maybe give them a little bit more pass rush particularly with a Mike Mayock who you know liked him when he was coming out in 2017 it's going to be a, an interesting interesting one to watch Sean also in the NFC West this week uh, not just a big game between Seattle and LA but also Arizona and Buffalo uh, two teams that definitely have playoff visions in mind uh, Arizona with that tough loss last week to Miami. They get the Bills this week, and they look like they could be getting Kenyon Drake back. What do you think uh, Drake's possibility of playing is going to be? Good chance, yeah, because I think he's going to try to do some practicing here uh, to see what, where he can, where he can be, and that'll help out their running game. And of course, you know, it's, I'm still kind of amazed at Cliff Kingsbury because you know you would think as a pure a uh, guy with the air raid offense that you know he would be you know all four receiver five receiver sets but he's used more two tight ends than I ever expected and he has run the ball in fact they've run the ball very well this year now part of that is because of Kyler Murray I mean what 106 yards last week but you know again this is going to be a scoring match but I think you can see that you know Buffalo has now shown that they have had an advantage on the teams in the uh, in this division you know because you know they'd have the win over the Rams earlier in the season they got the victory there and uh, you, they've got so much confidence right now particularly with the way that Josh Allen played and of course uh, you know their big concern, I think, has to be: can they generate a pass rush that can stop him? Because you know they've got Patrick Peterson as a cornerback that can take away maybe Stephon Diggs, but uh, are they going to be able to uh, you know really uh, get the pass rush? Because you know they they are missing so much right now, particularly with Chandler Jones out for the season. Uh, John, also in the NFL, we saw the debut of Antonio Brown with Tampa Bay on Sunday night. He had 39 snaps. 
Uh, Bucks head coach Bruce Arians, though, today uh, said that snap count was a little higher than they had anticipated. It looks like they might try to use him a little less, which may be less in the three and four wide receiver sets that we saw against New Orleans. Uh, already kind of off to a choppy start in Tampa Bay just from an on-field perspective. Do you think they are able to find a snap count in there that's going to make everybody happy, or is this just going to continue along? No, I think it's going to be it's going to be bad. I mean, that's why – and this is the classic example of a move that you know Seattle didn't make that was so wise and a move that the, the uh, Bucks made that was so wrong because it just messed them up. I mean, here, first off, uh, you can see that Tom Brady was trying to force the ball a little bit more to Antonio Brown, and that took away throws to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And, of course, keeping him out there 39 plays. Because, remember, <clears throat> this is a team that wanted to be a two-tight-end team, a two-tight-end team that uh, you know would run the ball, get, the, you know, get some balls to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk had one catch for two yards. Uh, you know, they opened the game up with three three-and-outs. The, the forcing of the ball led to interceptions. And even, uh, even as late as Monday, uh, Bruce Arians was you know, ripping some of the throws that Tom Brady made. You know, Brady wanted, certainly, I know they, they deny it, but he wanted Antonio Brown. He's staying at the house, but he did exactly what I thought he would do, mess up a team. And, uh, you know, that uh, did happen. And so I think he's probably going to go down to 25 to 26 plays. And if that happens, he's probably going to start complaining. And, you know, because Tom wants him on the field more. And I guess, you know, you can see there's a a rift right now. Tom wants more passing and, you know, more, uh, less two tight ends. And, you know, Bruce Arians still wants the two tight ends. What a mess. Oh, man. Antonio Brown. Great to not have him here, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. Remember, Boy. I mean, again, it's like, uh, I mean, that was one of the big topics. I mean, that and Jadevian Clowney were the two biggest topics of the off season, And I got so sick of the Antonio Brown thing. And now, I don't know, do I do they look okay in what we see in the first week of how bad it was in the Bucks getting blown out 38-3 to with Antonio Brown out there for 39 plays? Yeah, both of those guys. I mean... I think the Seahawks dodged a bullet on yeah. two of them, and that's who a lot of people were clamoring for. We know Russell Wilson was, but mm-hmm. uh, crisis averted in both situations. Yeah, no doubt about it. Coming up next, we have our Wednesdays with Dave Wyman. Wednesdays with Wyman's next. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.